Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Acts, and I invite you to read along with me in your Bible or along with me in your bulletin. And now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am not responsible for the blood of any of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. I know that after I have gone, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Some, even from your own group, will come distorting the truth in order to entice the disciples to follow them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to warn everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the message of his grace, a message that is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing. You know for yourselves that I worked with my own hands to support myself and my companions. In all this, I have given you an example that by such work we must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus. For he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt down with them all and prayed. There was much weeping among them all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving especially because of what he had said, that he would not see him again. Then they brought him to the ship. This is the word of God for the people of God. I'm thankful this morning for, thank you, Connor, for, uh, I'm thankful for our musicians. Can you uh, join me in thanking all our musicians this morning for leading us in worship? I'm so thankful. I meant to mention this earlier. But I feel like we need to know this. The water that was used in the baptism was from the Jordan today. Uh, really, really cool. And what, a, what an experience um, today. Thank you for letting us be a part of that today. A few weeks ago, I was working on a sermon out on the back porch that's become my favorite place uh, to work. Uh, just watching the sunrise and listening to the wind and the, the one tree we have and listening... Um, <laughs> But no, seriously, the sound of the birds and the gentle hum of a weed whacker in the distance every time there's yard work happening. But that's my favorite place to work. And, and it was about two weeks ago, and Adair came, came out, and she said, what are, you, what are you doing? I said, working on a sermon. She said, what's, what's the text? And I said, it's the book of Acts. And she said, how much longer are we going to be in the book of Acts? <laughs> um, and I don't know how many of you are... There out there feel similarly. I mean, I think 11 of the last 13 sermons have been the book of Acts, which is one of my favorite books, but maybe I'm not, maybe I am the only one. Um, but today is the last day we will be in the book of Acts for the rest of the year. This is it, so I hope that can put you a little bit at ease this morning. Uh, it is fitting, though, that we end here because we're in a bit of a farewell passage for Paul. This is his farewell message to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. Now, I love, I love a farewell. I love last words. The idea of trying to sum up everything one has been trying to say or the ongoing 
theme of a life into a few lines. It's extraordinary to me. And I think our culture and the world celebrate things like this. Last words, farewells. I think they're iconic. Winnie the Pooh's farewell line by A.A. Milne goes like this. How lucky I am to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. That's a good last word. Oscar Wilde, known for his wit, among other things, his last words, dying in a hotel room, were these. My wallpaper and I are fighting a duel to the death. One or the other of us must go. <laughs> Jack Daniels' last words before his death were these. One more drink, drink please. Sidney Carton's famous farewell in Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I've ever known. And John Wesley's last few words, his farewell. The best of all, God is with us. That's a good last word. And so we're in Paul's last word today, his farewell. In the midst of his farewell message to his friends, who he spent so much time with starting a church. And to give us a little context, this passage comes not long after the riot in Ephesus. I don't know if you remember that, but Paul had been preaching against the idols and the temple of Artemis, and it was starting to cost some of the artisans some money. And so they took some of his buddies into the theater, and there was a riot. And it had to take the city clerk a couple hours to calm them down. And this is, this is an interesting moment in Acts as well, because about midway through the Acts, right around this time, Luke's storytelling changes. He, starts telling, he stopped telling the story in third person and starts using we and us. Scholars think that's about the time Luke joined in on the journey. Up until that point, he was telling a story that was told to him, but now he's part of the story, and it draws us in a little bit too. And we learn that Paul is traveling again. The guy can't sit still. Reminds me of a few of you. He heads to Macedonia and then Greece to Troas. And then we have this little tale right before our passage today about Eutychus. You remember Eutychus? Eutychus was a kid. And he's sitting listening to Paul preach one night. And Paul goes a little bit longer. And then a little bit longer, Paul keeps preaching. He says, I'm going to go till midnight. This kid is sitting on a windowsill and he falls asleep because Paul's just going too long. Eutychus falls out of the window and dies, and Paul says, it's okay, it's okay, I've got it, and brings Eutychus back to life, but not before the reader realizes you shouldn't fall asleep during Paul's preaching, and I'm just going to let that story sit for a minute. But from there, Paul heads to city after city, and he's moving fast because he wants to go to Jerusalem, and eventually he wants to go to Rome, and then he dreams one day of visiting Spain. Now, he would... Never get to Spain, but he would, he would get to Rome, and that's where things would end for Paul. So Paul is in a city called Miletus on the coast of modern-day Turkey, not far from Ephesus, but he's not in Ephesus, and we all know why. We just talked about it. There's a riot there. Things aren't safe for Paul. So he's a little bit farther along in a city, and he summons himself his leaders of the Ephesian church. He's not going to go, but he summons the leaders, the lay leader, the church council chair, the chairs of SPR, finance, trustees, nominations, worship, you name it. All these leaders he calls to him. And he begins his farewell address. This is the last time that Paul will ever see these leaders, these disciples, these friends. And these are his last words. He starts like this. He says, from day one, you guys, I've been with you and for you, doing whatever I can to be a good leader, 
to be somebody you can trust. You know that I would do anything for you. I've encouraged you and fought for you. I've taught you in every setting imaginable, trying to teach you about what it looks like to radically trust in Jesus. But I have to go. There's an urgency I have to address in Jerusalem. It may not go well. It certainly will not be a picnic. For I know there are hard times ahead, imprisonment and worse. But that doesn't matter. What matters is that I finish the job God gave me to finish. This job of letting everybody I know all about this incredibly extravagant grace and generosity of God. And then we get to the passage that Connor just read. This, he says, is where I say goodbye. We're never going to see each other again. I've done all I can to you. Now it's up to you. You're in charge under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You are the guard and you protect this congregation. And remember, God thought they were worth dying for. So they are worthy. (laughs) I know as soon as I'm gone, Paul says, lots of personalities and people will try to disunite this flock. People will try to seduce you one way or another away from Jesus. Remember how I stayed with you three years Use that for inspiration. Paul warns them of false teachers how to deal with criticism and other things, the dangers facing the church. But it would hardly be true of Paul if God and Jesus were not the ultimate focal points. He says, I'm turning the church over to you, and I'm turning you over to God. I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Now, N.T. Wright, in his biography on Paul, he says, God's word of grace was the powerful word of the cross, the life-transforming word of the gospel, the word that started in the ancient scripture and told the story reaching forward to the explosive new event of Jesus Christ himself. And so just as the Jerusalem leaders had urged Paul to remember the poor, so Paul ends his remarks to the Ephesians with a concentration on the poor and the weak And then he ends everything with the words of Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. These are Paul's last words to the Ephesians. He won't see them again. He loves them. We know that because there's weeping and prayer afterwards. And in his last words to his friends, he says what? He says, don't let anybody into this fellowship. Lock the doors. No, he didn't say that. He says, persecution and death are coming your way, so run and hide. No, he doesn't say that. He says, staying together is going to be hard, so you might as well give up now and go your separate ways. No, he doesn't say that. He quotes Jesus in a quote that's not found in the Gospels. And his whole message comes down to this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The Amplified Bible puts it like this. It's more blessed and brings greater joy to give than to receive. Paul is tasking his leaders, his friends, with the continued leadership and fruitfulness of this church. And he's handing them to God, trusting that in the hard times ahead, they will continue to love and uphold this wonderful church, this budding organization. And his best advice on how to keep going, on how to keep the church alive and in tune with the Spirit is this. It's a greater blessing to give than to receive. And he writes, says that was how the church was to be known. As the community that modeled the outgoing, generous grace of God, that was how it would confront principalities and powers who were all out for their own ends. 
That was why, no doubt, the wolves would come in to snatch what they could. This kind of community was by its very nature vulnerable and would always be. But God's grace and God's word were stronger. And like good, wholesome food, they would build up the church's strength, nourishing the believers and their leaders so that they would indeed inherit the kingdom, the worldwide inheritance promised to the Messiah and his people. And the best way to that, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I can picture a few in the crowd asking Paul in the meeting, after the meeting, you know, the real meeting, Paul, what about the specifics? (laughs) What about the deficit, the needs we have to address? the roof that needs fixing, you really want to leave us with, it's more blessed to give than to receive. (laughs) That's really not specific enough. I don't know that that works for us. (laughs) But Drago Thomas is an Irish storyteller and theologian, and he spent some time, some years, engaging the imagination with Jesus and youth in Ireland. He would sit them in a circle and get them to take deep breaths and then shut their eyes and tell them, picture Jesus. What is he doing? What's happening? And kids said all kinds of things. Well, Jesus is really polite. Jesus said hello, and then he went about his business. Jesus gave me a hug, one of the kids said. And he says one teenage boy said that in his first imagination walk, is what they called it, he was walking through the woods, but that it was worrying because the pathway kept changing. And he found himself eventually in a valley, in a clearing, where he met Jesus. And he said that Jesus said, hello, I've got three questions to ask you. And the boy said, what? Jesus says, how would you describe today? Number two, have you seen anything interesting along the way? And number three, is it working? (laughs) Is what working? I don't know. I imagine Paul evaluating every church on all of his travels based on that question. Is it working? Are lives being transformed? Are are people joining the mission of the church? I imagine he'd get to a community and ask that question. Hey, guys, is it working? Is this body of believers working? Is the way you're organized working? Is the manner of worship you're engaged in working? And his advice, his last word to his leaders of one of his churches in a pretty rough region, his best advice to help the Spirit continue to find a footing on how to best serve the community, on how to keep it working is not advertise better. Call everybody you can. Keep being present at every function. Keep offering new and exciting studies and events. Paul's last words for the betterment of this community, how do you know it's working? It's more blessed to give than to receive. When John Wesley read this verse, he reinterpreted the statement simply as this, imitate God. (laughs) Imitate God. The one who has given more, who has given everything, imitate the God who created the universe out of an abundance of love and grace. Imitate the God who informed the world through the prophets that we are to walk humbly in love, justice, and mercy. Imitate the God who walked among us and gave his very life on earth to show us what true love looks like. Imitate God. C.S. Lewis says it is easy to acknowledge, but almost impossible to realize for long, that we are mirrors whose brightness, if we are bright, is wholly derived from the sun that shines upon us. We are to be mirrors, imitators of our great and giving and merciful and gracious God. 
And it shouldn't be what we do. It should be who we are. George Barna is the founder of a market research firm specializing in the studying, in studying the religious beliefs and behavior of Americans and the, the intersection of faith and culture. He recently published a study called The Giving Landscape. And he surveyed adults in the U.S. who said they donated money to charitable organizations, including churches or houses of worship, in the past year. 60% of U.S. adults and 90% of Christians fall into this category. And when it comes to what leads people to give, the nature of the re- request matters. of the people said they gave because of a particular ministry. 7% said they gave because of the way they were asked. 8% said they gave because of the person who asked them. 11% said they gave because of the reason given. And 77% of practicing Christians said they gave because it is just who they are. There's never a question. In other words, it's part of our identity, our makeup. It's who we are. A few months back, I was having a conversation with a member here. I won't say who it was. She was bringing in some food for one of the mission Sundays, a box of food for one roof. And I helped, and and I said, thank you for bringing food for folks who need it. And she looked at me and said, Andrew, every time I give, I am so blessed by the experience. I can't wait to do it again. Friends, it sounds like the words of someone who is a mirror, an imitator of God. Someone who does it just because it's who they are. And I think in my experience here, we sure do have a lot of mirrors in this church. All simply trying to reflect the light and goodness and generosity of God as best they can. Friends, Paul's last words to the elders of Ephesus come from a deep knowledge and an understanding of the generous and mysterious grace of God, a grace that shines upon us and invites us to reflect upon all around us. And the best way to be imitators of that light is to be givers, is to be generous in all aspects of our life. For it is more blessed to give than to receive. And our greatest example, our greatest advocate, and our Savior and Lord is Jesus Christ, who in his farewell message told his best friends in the world, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends, to give it all. Today is Commitment Sunday. I've said it a couple times now. That means that in a few moments, I'm going to ask all of the members of this church to consider prayerfully to bring your financial pledge cards down to the altar to spend a moment in prayer and to leave them here. If you've already turned them in, thank you. If you still need time, great. Still come and pray. Come to the altar, kneel, and and give it to God. But this Sunday is not all about that. In fact, I want to ask each of you to spend time in prayer, thanking God for what you have been given, and then with open hands, asking God to continue His work in you, in your life, and where you might be able to be better mirrors or imitators of God, whether in relationships in time, in schedules, in families, in church, in business, in work. I'm reminded of St. Augustine's word, God gives where God finds empty hands. So friends, remember this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I'm going to ask Dawn to play in a few moments and ask you to come forward to the altar.
to share your commitment, to recommit yourselves to the work of this body, but more importantly, to recommit your lives to the one who gave it all, to Jesus the Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we come this morning to kneel, to be in prayer next to our brothers and sisters, stir within us something special, something new, something good. Remind us of the grace that we have been given and show us the way, show us how to be a mirror for the light of God in the world. Be with us now, God, as we come with open hands this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.